You are listening to Billionaires in Boxes, the number one podcast publicist for businesses globally. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, Phil Paluccia. Um, I'm already excited to introduce these two. I mean, the conversation we've been having in the green room has been going on for about 20 minutes and we've had to stop it. So this this could have actually been half a decent podcast already. Um, so I am delighted to introduce you to Kirsten and Mark, uh, two people I met on the podcasting scene. Again, I love having conversations with podcasters, A, because they know how to use a mic and B, because the conversation tends to flow quite nicely. So welcome to the both of you. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Phil. It's yeah, awesome. very excited. Awesome to have you here. Awesome, awesome. So we'll start with ladies first. I mean, I imagine some of the listeners will have come across you already from your from your own podcast work. But Kirsten, I'd love to start with you. You know, for for those of our listeners that don't know you, um, I'd love to kind of dive into what you do. That you know, intuitive advisor piece and coach and soul mapping, and we're onto some beautiful stuff already. So tell us about you. Yeah, I, I'm happy to do that. So my background is in technology and telecommunications as a trained professional in C-suite and um, burnt out very early at the age of, I would say, you know, 49, I was done. I was done. I'm only 52. but And I've also been spent my life developing my intuition doing shamanic work. I'm a psychic medium, intuitive. You know, I have a lot of modalities under my belt, but I'm also a clear essence where I focus on people's, what really drives them and what really matters to them. And what I'm really committed to doing today is cultivating the leaders of the future and developing the skills that are needed to create a new world. And what I mean by that is, you know, where diversity, inclusion, social, socioeconomics, all of that, sustainability are incorporated in the essence and the being of the individual. Mm. So it then gets imparted into every area of their life, including business. So that's really my, my sole commitment is to creating the future and developing the leaders in a new set of tools. I, I love that. And, and actually speaking from experience, I believe that is 110% necessary too, because even the, the business owners and business leaders that I know who are quite intuitive, they're quite connected, they they kind of understand a bit more about the spiritual side of themselves. There tends to be a divide between what's going on in work and what's happening within their kind of spiritual development and actually get, providing the tools that you can then utilize that you know, intuition within your business. I mean, that's powerful. I mean, tapping into that next space is, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's very powerful. And also it it allows for that ability to connect at a deeper level with the individuals that you're interacting with because you have such a keen sense of where they're at and where you're at. And you can allow your intuition to guide and develop those relationships. And when you have that relationship connection, you get to create larger aspects than you would by yourself, which is how Mark and I came together, right? Or the other guest on the show, Mm -hmm. which has really been quite beautiful because, you know, he honors who I am. I honor who he is. And as a result, things just happen. Yeah. I love that. And Mark, and actually that's a a great segue. So I can understand, you can tell they're podcasters, can't you? So, uh, but Mark, I, 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 mean, I, I know of a time pass when I see one. <laughs> Here it is. You go now. 
I just have to reach my hand out and take it. My job's not to drop it. Uh, absolutely, brother. So look, the, the brand innovation side of things then and and the brand kind of I mean, looking at the intuitive piece and then introducing that to how that's implemented within the business and the brand, I'm guessing that's really your baby. Well, it is. And I think, you know, what I've done over my career is be able to look at product profiles and then say, there's a brand in there, you know, a brand being the product plus, right? Uh, The business plus the experience or whatever. And I think, you know, that's where uh, the overlap of what Kirsten and I's experience brings to our partnership is being able to see brands with a purpose, Mm. you know, brands that are elevating to something that we want to do good for the world. We want to do good for people. Most of my clients have been pharmaceutical companies and healthcare concerns. You know, how can we help patients? Uh, And then how can we help them get to the right diagnosis and the right treatment faster? But also, you know, I guess from a venture catalyst and I kind of spin the word from capital to catalyze. And that is, can we give some infusion of energy and consciousness to these companies and to these brands to elevate them to another level? Yeah, I absolutely love that. And actually, although I don't usually do this, is already somebody that comes to mind that I'd, I'd love to introduce you to. Um, we're working with a, a bank and they're the first recognized and legally approved, I don't know, if that's the right word. They're probably going to kill me for that. Um, uh, bank in the U.S. that deals with cannabis transactions, and they're starting to do more and more work worldwide. But the reason I think that something you just said really struck a chord is that they're doing a lot of work with the the pharmaceutical industry around how they can get involved in what's going on in cannabis. But I love their standpoint with it. Their standpoint in this is not as a bank, let's make loads of money. You know, if we get a big farmer to come and start plowing loads of money into this, that'd be great. They're they're almost setting boundaries in place that say, no, no, there's going to be an entire infrastructure and new industry here and pharma can be a part of it, but they must only ever be a part of it. And the people who are a part of it must have the best interest of the patients at heart. And and I I really like that. And I think if... Sorry, Mark, I just want to say that makes me so happy because you said big pharma involved in the cannabis industry. I was like, well, that's shot. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, my, my, well, my look, not going to go all conspiracy theorist here, but my, my fear was kind of a, you know, I've seen some research of, of what it's done in, in terms of people's um, healing of, of cancer, for example, and different sort of forms of cancers. But I also know how much money businesses can make in big pharma from chemotherapy and different cancer drugs and all this kind of stuff. And you think, well, if you're going to find almost a, a an alternative you can grow as a herb in your backyard and use the oil from and stuff, then that's really going to impact big pharma. So I had the same fear as you, which is they're just going to come in, buy out the whole operation and and that's going to be the end of it. But the industry as a whole has almost taken the agreement of, you know, you're having no more than 30% of this. You're having a slice of the pie and the rest of this is going to be down to, you know, distribution dispensaries, you know, um, edibles, the, the hemp, I mean, the hemp market alone is huge. You know, it's a, it's a massive, massive industry, but that's what excites me about that industry is if you look at what's happening state by state, you know, some places it's recreational, some places it's medicinal only, some places it's a big no-no. But you're seeing more and more of the larger states start to to kind of come on board now. And I think that's going to, you know, it's going to p- produce an, an entire industry, which if you think about it, they're going to need 
logistics and distribution and security and and financial payment gateways and you name it they're getting infrastructure for everything and that i think that's exciting because it can create a lot of jobs as well as helping a lot of people Yes. Well, and I think you've brought up if it's going to be a part of the medical, you know, healthcare ecosystem, Mm -hmm. uh, pharma and medical companies know the regulatory environment. They know the distribution channels and so forth. And I think all parties would be wise to uh, collaborate, share that information, because I I think the days of, look, in in most industries, the days of I have the one answer, the one magic bullet, I don't need anybody else, uh, those are over. It doesn't exist. So everybody knows they're a part of something. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you've got to team up. And Uh, and you know what? I think that I like that fact. I mean, my, my attitude towards business Absolutely. has always been business is a team sport. And, you know, if you, I use a lot of soccer analogies, you know, football in my world, but you know, if you're, if you're good at scoring goals, I'm not going to go and teach you how to defend. That's pointless. I'm just going to go get some defenders who can defend and you keep scoring goals. And that's, that I think is, you know, there was a book by an Australian business coach called Daniel Priestley. If you haven't checked out his stuff, I would definitely recommend it. But he wrote a book called the entrepreneur revolution and it was essentially about how we've moved away from the industrial revolution of go to school, go to college, move to the big city, get a job, work there for the next 30, 40 years, get your pension and die. You know, this is now much more about can you be a core business that is really good at one particular aspect, but you are a cog in a much larger machine. You can do this from wherever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want, rather than saying, no, we are a Boston-based tech firm that only work with these people. And you don't, if you're not in our catchment area, we can't work with you. I mean, that for me seems like a terrifying way of doing business. As somebody who has been doing business globally for over 10 years now, you know, when one particular country is having a bit of a down period, a bit of a recession, money's a bit tight, I just go and work somewhere else. Um, yeah, that cultural revolution. Right. They are mm. they are creating the new future. And that's I, I also there was something I wanted to say about my partner, Mark, that I think is really important as well, because, you know, Mark's had about 100 careers already and he's been very <laughs> successful at them. Right. So and he continues to recreate and create newly. Um, but as we talk about this notion of that intuition and that branding and where we're going and creating newly. One of the things that I I think is one of Mark's greatest assets is he really elevates others' voices. So they have the capacity to be heard and seen. Like he grants this stage. Like I remember George Clooney saying the reason he worked with the United Nations was because he had any brilliant ideas is was Mm. people looked at him so they would look at the people he was elevating, right? Makes and a lot of sense. That is one of the gifts. And I think that speaks to that team sport, right? Mm. Mark's ability to help elevate, you know, and amplify voices on all spectrums. And I think that's so important. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, there, there are lots of people who like to do it for themselves, but, you know, they're not very good at turning around and giving somebody a hand up on the ladder who are behind them kind of thing. Whereas I, I can honestly say that, you know, I find more joy in helping other people to kind of do what they need to do and get in front of the right people than I did doing it for myself. When I did it, it was a necessity for my business. Doing it for other people, you know, I get to see them go from, I don't have enough leads coming in, I'm flat broke to, can we stop, you know, I need to stop taking leads. I need to add a new product because I've sold out of this. And it's like, this is, see, this is amazing. And like people never quite understand that, I don't think. It's the, 
it's the emotional aspect of business. You know, I would much rather, that's why I personally will work with small to medium sized businesses. I do not work with large businesses. I have um, board level for the second largest real estate business in Africa, worked for Microsoft Asia on their HoloLens project. I've worked with the biggest and I hate being a percentage on a spreadsheet. Um, for me, I'd much rather be the guy that's getting the text message. And I can see from both of you nodding that, you know, that gets that SMS to say, I'm not going to be around for two weeks because I'm taking the family on vacation. And it's like, I'm feeling that just as much as you are because I remember how much pain you were in. <laughs> that's right. That emotional connection is just so key. Mm, absolutely. And I think if you don't love what you do, then why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, my favorite calls for Mark are, Hey, I was thinking about your business. I have some ideas like, and yeah. they're every day. I love <laughs> you it. Keep up with the idea generating yeah. machine. She, I love she, it. Did, she did put the call block on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stop taking the calls. Just yeah. send straight to voicemail. Uh, yeah. Enough ideas already. Well, that said though, I mean, Kirsten credit to Kirsten credit to you. You must implement them because you know, People like Mark wouldn't continue to give you those ideas if you didn't take them on board and do something with them. Because eventually you get to the point where it's like, why am I telling this person if they don't ever do any of the things I'm suggesting? <laughs> I, I do feel there's a couple knocks on the doors where he's saying that. <laughs> but there I have since hired my daughter yeah. as my virtual assistant. And so there's some movement in action, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's been a couple of knocks. <laughs> well, I even accept micro movements. But uh, uh, to that point, though, Phil, mm. I think, you know, we, we have a chance to talk to so many leaders on our own podcast that have talked about their, their background, their feelings and their, you know, emotions, but then they take it to the next level and they say, and here's how I put it into practice, yeah. you know, and here's what I do with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, you were even sharing with us, you know, you have a three point, uh, three part daily routine and ritual and commitments. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, all the leaders we talk to say, you know, this is what built me as a person, but mm-hmm. now here's how I apply it. Yeah. And I, I just think that that's, that's a great trait in any of us, both in business and in life. Um, uh, so a business that says I stand for these things and they put a plaque on the wall with their 10, ten tenets of, you know, uh, accountability, responsibility and sustainability. But mm-hmm. then you turn around and you're like, but what are you putting in the water? What are you putting back in the earth? You know, uh, what am I supposed to do with this after it, it burns out? Uh, then they really haven't put all that into action. Uh, and I think that that's what my, people these days consumers these days are looking for that what what's going to happen after i use your product you know yeah. that end of life for the product is Definitely. what a lot of people call it well a lot of people don't really take the whole how would you call this kind of like a a moral stance the ethical stance and it's much more about the marketing it's like what can we say that's going to make us look good from a marketing perspective as opposed to a what are the ethics and morals that actually it doesn't matter if other people wouldn't go this far. I'm not doing this because it doesn't, it doesn't feel well, right. right. It's got to be on page seven of my annual report <laughs> because uh, we have a sustainability yes. section now. Well, yeah. yes. okay. That that's great. <laughs> you know? Right. And I love my favorite. This is my pet peeve. You just like, you hit one of my trigger buttons, right? My favorite are when you're looking at companies and their marketing shows, female leaders or, you know, interracial people, multiracial, you know, 
colors on the um, front, but then you go look at their leadership, all white men, right? (laughs) All white men. And you're like, that was just a picture to, you know, to put your money where your mouth is and put your feet where your mouth is. Right. Yeah. Like you have to be it. It's not just, 100%. it doesn't matter. Like I'm t- the flash is so overrated. Mm. But that also, that almost makes it worse, doesn't it? Cause it's kind of like, you've recognized that you need to be doing more about this inequality to upload the images, but you don't actually want to do anything about the inequality. <laughs> right. You just kind of want to change right. the way it yeah. looks. The only people that benefited were the stock photo companies and the models <laughs> that, you know, that were in it. Exactly, but, uh, but I think to Kirsten's point, the the action is coming, and that maybe that's what the and we've attracted the leaders to the interviews that we've had. But we we've begun to see this pattern of putting the money where the mouth is, and that we even asked one of our guests. Uh, we we talked to Eric. Erica Ufendel, who is a director of a global conscious branding leadership kind of uh, association. And she said that they are doing the studies now to show that the companies can profit more. There's a financial incentive. It's not a disincentive anymore. It's not going to be a higher cost. It's not going to put you behind your competition. In fact, you've got to treat the people right, treat the world right, uh, and you will win, you know? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Have you you ever met uh, Bertine Crevacore West? No. I must introduce you to her as well. She owns a business called Global Fluency. Um, and it's a, it's it's about, I mean, again, I'm going to butcher the description of her business here. So sorry, Bertine. But she she is an in- inclusive coach. She helps businesses to understand how to get more inclusive when it comes to race and kind of understanding different groups and being able to move into new markets, both in terms of the workforce, but also in terms of the customer base. And I love that because, you know, given what she did, I was quite nervous to speak to her. I thought, oh, I'm not very politically correct. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm in a, a, a mixed marriage, so I kind of use the thing of my wife's Indian, so I'm just, I'm allowed to say this. <laughs> um, so, so whenever I say something ignorant, that's my excuse. But I, I loved her attitude towards it, which was so many people are afraid to say the wrong thing that they never actually ask the questions. And that doesn't help with inclusion. You know, the way that you get to know somebody's culture is to ask questions, ask them things. But if you're always terrified to ask, we're never going to move any further forward. Businesses are never going to you know, be able to take that next step and do those things because they're afraid to ask the questions that they'd need to ask to make that happen. Uh, it's so provocative. Kirsten, I think about, uh, gosh, at least three guests who have told us about asking questions, like literally going on the other side of the barricade, you know, at a protest march or going to another side of town. I think of Pastor CJ who said, you get, you know, we're more segregated on Sunday mornings in churches than we are at our companies. So mm-hmm. he's like, get Absolutely. up, go to the other side of town and go to another church where somebody of a, another race, another belief, another creed, you know, believes something and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and literally in the nonprofit world, I think of Valerie Leonard, uh, Kirsten, who said, you know, she she's trying to build nonprofits in her neighborhood, you know, on the west side of Chicago with underserved, underdeserved, under, you know, uh, you know, underfunded nonprofits. And people won't help out because they're not willing to go outside the neighborhood to ask for help. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, anyway, it's just very interesting. This inquisitive side of us has to come out. 
We have a lot more in common than we have that separates us. The oh problem is we, we, we don't ask the questions to discover that. I mean, I, I remember I moved to South Africa and I I found South Africa quite strange when I first moved there. I was dating a, a South African Indian. Um, I was a white British guy in a country that had only said goodbye to apartheid 20 years earlier, something like that. So, you know, it, I there's still signs. There's still that's the white area that's the indian area that's the black area and it's like what like you still have different areas like can i so can i not rent there and it's like well you'd be advised not to and it's like what does that mean like you you know (laughs) i went to museums and stuff and saw you know whites only beach signs and stuff and it was incredible and then you when you start talking to people and and they they feel exactly the same about you what does this white british guy know about i i'll have nothing in common with this white british guy then we live nine thousand kilometers apart it's not gonna happen and then we start talking and sometimes it can be i mean for me it's it's often sport so i will suddenly find that the second i start talking about liverpool I've got my own little group around me and, and color at this point and race and, and age and sex really that doesn't matter um, because we're talking about something that we all have a shared passion in. And before you know it, we've gone three or four hours talking about something and we've got to know each other and we're trying different foods. It's like, so why don't you guys eat that? And it's like, well, because of this, this and this is like, actually, that suddenly makes loads of sense. Um, I, I, I often go back to this thing and my, I, I say it to my wife all the time and she she finds it really funny. Um there's, there was a documentary in the UK done probably about five or six years ago. Uh, and it was talking about the English Defence League, who are basically our very, very right wing. I don't even think they're a political party, just a right wing group. Um, but they were getting more. more yeah, just this group. Of, they, all they said to do is get all they said to do is get drunk and go on marches. I never see them do anything else. Um, but I remember watching a documentary about them. And one of them said, what do you know about Muslims? Like, why do you hate them so much? He said, I don't know anything about them because I don't understand why they don't just come down to the pub and have a drink with us. And it's like, because <laughs> they don't drink alcohol, so they're not going to come down to the pub and have a drink with you, are they? I mean, there's problem number one. If you're going to dislike them because they've not come for a beer, we've got a problem. <laughs> um, but it, it was just that kind of a, it was so far apart that he didn't understand why. Well, if they want to be included in our community, they should come to the pub and have a beer. And it's just the level of ignorance was shocking. And it was like, well, actually, if you sat down and spoke to these people, they'll go to work just like you. They've got a family just like you. They've got to put food on the table just like you. They get stuck in that traffic jam just like you, you know, and we're all dealing with the same stuff. And, and I'm, part of me is hoping beyond all hope that coronavirus, one of the good things that will come out of that is it's been the great equalizer because this didn't this didn't discriminate against color, sex, creed, gender, sexual orientation we were all just as prone to be victims of this. We all knew somebody we've all had loss. We've all experienced, you know, even the mental issues, mental and emotional issues of being locked away at home for months at a time. We've all experienced that. So I'd like to think that there's going to be a lot less. Yeah. Intolerance, and I'm going to wrap just a, another side thought into that. You know, we are the greatest pandemic of the world's history is climate change right? That is about to annihilate farmlands. It's shifting. Even Bruce Lipton, you know, he's an American physicist. He talks about it all the time. We're not going to be able to predict our farming patternings. And we're 10 years off from that. Our, you know, our wetlands are turning to deserts. Other places are. So this notion that this, that will be the great equalizer, 
right? And this is what is starting to rally the youth together and, you know, other people to start having, I mean, we're a little too late, but it's never too late, right? Mm. So I I think COVID is a beginning, but a a prediction I'm making is that the great, the, the final equalizer will be our climate change. I, I like that. And actually, I, you're so right about the different attitudes of different generations as well, because if you almost were to take a snapshot of four generations, you know, the older generation are telling you it doesn't exist. The next generation down are saying, yeah, it probably does exist, but it's a long, long time off. Then you've got more of a shared generation of ours where it's a bit like, we should do something about this, but we didn't, we didn't really do enough. Um, you know, I remember watching the Copenhagen Climate Report of 2007, and then they made tons and tons and tons of great suggestions that, that could have made a massive difference, even in building sustainable housing and all this kind of stuff. It got taken back to local governments and got voted down because it would be too expensive to introduce. And it was like, what is the cost on saving the planet? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand how that's a, a conversation. But then you have the younger generation. And they're almost angry at us. In fact, I think they are angry at us. They, they, they look at the generations at above and go, what have you left us with? Like, look what you did. You screwed this thing up. We had this beautiful planet. Self-servicing took care of us and you've destroyed it. Yeah. And they are. I mean, truthfully, they're suffering from anxiety. They don't know where they're going to go. Their economic structures globally are impacted. There's so much happening that these the youth has true anxiety mm. over the burden that they're laden with, right? Mm. And that speaks to, again, that need to cultivate the leaders, to do the shift. And all of us, I, I would assert that all three of us on this podcast today really have a high commitment to cultivating something different. And I, I think it's, you know, we have to be on fire about it now. Mm. I guess the, the really sad thing for the younger generation, and you can see why they're so anxious about it, is there's probably three main reasons. I mean, number one is it is a mess, so there's no point pretending otherwise. Number two, when I think about how much of a mess it is, my first in- inclination is I need to buy a house with land and make it, you know, renewable and use ground source heat pumps and, you know, wind power and, and collect my gray wa- rainwater for my gray water systems and have solar panels and all this kind of stuff, grow my own food outside. That's my attitude. That younger generation, I mean, they're looking at their late 30s, early 30s before they're even going to stand a chance of being able to buy real estate. Mm-hmm. And, that, and then if you factor that in then that, we all got to kind of grow up with the ignorance of not having the internet. You know, we didn't know how bad the problem was unless somebody came and told us. Now there's no excuse. It's right there staring you in the face. You know, you turn on social media and it's going to show you in real time the ice caps melting and the floods that are happening and the storms that are happening and the, the, the droughts and the famines. You, you can't avoid it anymore. It's right there in front of you. Yeah, and I think well, yeah, same kind of awareness. But you also bring up, you know, a very good point. There are individual actions. I can put solar panels on top of my house. I can buy an electric car. I could not buy a car at all. I think we're we're probably in the rental economy more than we are. Why would you buy real estate or buy a car when you can take an Uber? You know, you can rent a condo. You know, so but I but I think these individual actions, while they would be terrific. You know, if all seven billion of us on the earth did something a little bit. But I also think about these institutional actions, Mm. these commercial business actions. This is what we're really talking about with a lot of the leaders uh, that we talk to. Mm. And, And Kirsten challenges them to say, yes, individual action. But what about in the boardroom? You know, and this goes to back to your just right or wrong in the gut. 
You know, your in intuition can tell you. I don't need the data from Al Gore or anybody else on climate change to tell me, <laughs> you know, right. if, if this is going bad. But I do need to say, ah, is this right that we keep putting perfectly good water in a terrible plastic bottle that we can throw on the side of the road that will end up in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And every time I see those amazing pictures of these giant pools of plastic in the Pacific Ocean, I terrifying, go, isn't it? You know, or the beach on Mumbai, I, I don't even know what to think of this quantity of the problem. So I, I think it's in the boardroom where we say, you know, if I can make this packaging different, if I can, you know, make a cleaner and a tablet that you, you know, can dissolve in your own water at home instead of shipping a bottle of water to a Walmart to put on a shelf. I, I don't, you know, these are examples of these larger business ripples that can be created by true leaders, and then we as consumers can put pressure on them. But but it's the board members who mm. have to who have to make that decision. Yeah, and I'm going to add one thing to that: it's the board and the shareholders, right? Because yes. Erica yeah. pointed yeah, that okay. out. Yeah, yeah. Right, the board can change, the C level can change, but the shareholders dictate what occurs, right? They have mm. truly have the voting power. And one last thing I want to add, because I think this is really important. What I love when you talked about these institutional actions, we had a guest on from Japan, Takatoshi, and he really was clear. You can't just eliminate straws because there's an, an entire value chain of econ economic reliance on that, right? So when you're eliminating something, it's incumbent upon the economic advisors to really look who's going to be impacted by that. Because, you know, that, that person in the rice paddy, you know, in, in Japan and that place may rely on that five cent an hour job mm -hmm. to feed his family, even though it's killing the environment, right? Mm. So when we're making these at an institutional level, we have to look at the entire value chain that's impacted and creatively come up with a new solution to address the whole. Yeah, you can't just treat the symptoms. That makes a lot of sense. And, and actually, how many businesses try and do that? They just try and treat one part and they kind of forget all about the supply chain. Um, you know, well, a great yeah, example yeah. of that would be carrier bags, plastic carrier bags. Mm -hmm. I mean, the supermarket started to try and bring out Bag for Life, which I was a big fan of. I like that. But you can still get the, the horrible plastic carrier bags. They just now make you pay for them. Um, and it was like, you kind of got the point, but not so we realize that plastic bags are bad, so we're going to keep producing them and giving them to you, and now we're just going to charge you $0.10 cents a bag. It's like, uh, how about we, you charge us $0.50, cents, a dollar a bag, but make sure it's biodegradable. How about that? We'll all just and just get rid of them completely. Why do we still have them? Well, and this is to Kirsten's point about rethinking the whole supply chain. You know, it's great that I can go into a, a, a TV store and get a, you know, 51 inch TV for $300. I, I, how is that even possible? It's awesome. To, huh? to get it into. <laughs> That's a good football game, isn't it? Yeah. That's a good I was game. Like, I was like, wow. But then, you know, back that up and say, like you say, all the way to Vietnam, where they're now making that TV. Are you just going to pull that job out after all those years of building it up? And what are you going to replace that with? 
And so, you know, you go to TVs, you go to sneakers, you go to clothing and everything else that we've created a global economy around mm. and a global supply chain uh, that needs to be rethought. I agree completely. But, then, you know, when you look at stuff like that, you have to think if we change it, it's going to be job creation too. So there's going to be new opportunities. It's not just oh, going to be absolutely. getting rid of opportunities. So That's that guy idea. who makes the plastic carrier bags for Walmart, why can't he make biodegradable plastic? Sorry, why can't he make biodegradable bags? Why can't yes. we give him that contract instead? Um, you know, it, it, for me, it doesn't have to be a, an, an instead of. It can be, a, you know, you don't have to get rid of that person. Let's just change it up and say, okay, look, we're going to now be charging this to customers, which is going to give us extra budget. Let's renegotiate your contract so that you can be providing us with these biodegradable bags instead of these awful things that are killing the oceans and the fish and yeah, and everything that's, else. That's the big idea. Well, I tell you what, what one of the companies I, I love because of the ease of how to work with them is Amazon. But one of the biggest problems I have with Amazon is the amount of packaging they use for everything. Like you'll order one thing and it turns up in a huge box with loads of paper and there's cardboard everywhere. And it's like, was that necessary? I mean, the thing was this big. Like, why Why did I need like a box that looked like I'd bought a new sofa? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, you know, again, I think companies like them have, a, I mean, how many parcels do you think Amazon deliver? I mean, my, the Amazon delivery oh God, driver pulls up in imagine. my, <laughs> yeah, the Amazon delivery driver pulls up in my street and he's servicing four of the five houses every time he's here. We're, and my street can't be the only street in the UK that's buying loads of crap. Right? Yeah, I'm We're, pretty sure we have our own personal concierge yeah. Amazon d- driver. So, yeah. you know, that's what's coming. It yeah, just absolutely. Have, have that guy bring it to me every day. Absolutely. But my, my <laughs> Amazon driver knows my name. That's really bad. Yeah. 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 And, and I want to say this. On a, on a macro level, you know they're working at it. I mean, it can't be good for them either. Well, but no, I, but Mark, I'm, I'm going to challenge that. But on a micro level, Jeff Bezos will call a warehouse. I know this firsthand. He will call a warehouse at 4 a.m. I have no idea where in the world he is, but at 4 a.m. in Kansas, you know, he calls a warehouse and say, I just picked up a complaint because I do this on a regular basis that a woman got a bag of flour because you're buying all your groceries from Amazon. Got a bag of flour that exploded in the box. So there's flour everywhere, and it's all over the other stuff in the box. How could we do this better? And they're actually having this meeting live, you know, That's cool. over, and then say, okay, here's how we're going to fix it. So, no, I, I'm not trying to explain away Amazon or, you know, its carbon footprint. But I am saying, you, you know that it's a business impact. Yes. And they've got they've got to be working on it as well. So, so I, I do want to challenge that, right? Because Jeff Bezos is one of the studies in the conscious leadership questionnaire, right? Because he's one of the top 10, if you will, right? Yeah, definitely. And if you look at what he actually does, it's almost zero contribution back to society, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I just, you know, it, again, it, it's someone has to actually be in totality, what they want to implement into the company. So if he himself has no value in connection to service, that's not going to be a value that goes floods through his. Now I, I I'm hope to be, you know, corrected on this, but mm. it's his choices are about profits, not about conscious leadership. And that's the distinction I think we're talking to here. Yes, he wants to know about the impact, but that's because it'll impact his profits and his operational and his supply chain. Mm. But is it truly, does he actually really 
you know, give an S about what's happening. And he has an incredible amount of influential power. Immensely. No. Right. Mm. And that to me is the separation from the men and the boys. Well, that's the the problem with Amazon. If you look at it in that respect, so what they were talking about, Mark, you just said, you know, they, they must be working on this stuff in the background, but you know, it may well be that Kirsten's right. They're, they're working on it to improve their profits. They're working on it to improve customer retention as opposed to, because your business is a reflection of you, no matter how big or small that business is, right? So I, I know this from first experience. I can't expect my team to do something that I myself don't do. Um, it's hypocritical and it doesn't work because they're, they're going to do it half ass because I don't do it. So if if Jeff Bezos isn't giving uh, enough back and isn't doing his part to, to try and improve things, why would his company, why would people in his company go go above and beyond? Why would they take that extra step to say, you know, we want to be better integrated with the local community. We want to, you know, proactively reduce our CO2 emissions, not because of the cost associated or the fines that are coming, but because it's what's right for the environment and it's what's right for the next generation. Well, it's yeah, a provocative like question. Blue. And, and okay. we, we have just uh, filled up your comment box uh, just <laughs> with this argument. So uh, we look Never. forward to seeing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kirsten's looking for the references on, and I, I would love to hear. I what know, I want to know. But I well, I'll also you. say, Jeff, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. feel yeah. free to come on the show and we'll have this conversation again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you, you know our emails already. So you can yeah, exactly. directly. <laughs> Listen, if Jeff books a podcast, I'll let you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. uh, we, we keep mentioning your podcast, actually. How can people find your show? Like, how can people get in touch with what it is that you're doing? Because I'm sure they're going to want to after this. Yeah. So the name of the podcast is IntelliKey Leadership Stories. And uh, IntelliKey, it won't be hard when you search your podcast platform to find the word IntelliKey. But it's e n. T-E-L-E-C-H-Y. What is IntelliKey? And, and so IntelliKey, uh, I'll let Kirsten give uh, the further background to it, but it is this idea of achieving or reaching your full potential, your human soul's purpose, you know, that's like already that. built into you. And uh, Kirsten, maybe you pick it up from there. Yeah, I really don't have much more than that. I mean, that really is that there's so much to it. And and Mark, the genius that he is, has helped me really, you know, evolve that into practice. But he's right. And it's an Aristotle in philosophy. It was discovered back, you know, that was he created the IntelliKey and uncovering how do you achieve one's soul potential and then, you know, amplify that into the boardroom how do you achieve the company's potential, right? So you can take that in Catelichy and insert it into everything. And again, that's the genius of Mark with me, right? Is he's been able <laughs> well, to, to take the this first, word. The, uh, the first time we ever had coffee, Kirsten says, well, my company is called in Pure IntelliKey. Can we do a podcast? I go, well, first I got to run to the dictionary. I'm going to find out what IntelliKey means. And then once as she described it, Aristotle you know, coined the term. He's put it in his own books, this book on the soul. And, and you read it and it's nature-based even. That mm. fl- a flower is already in the seed and doesn't need to be told, hey, you need to be a flower. You know, so they, true. yeah, the bird is a bird in the egg, you know, and so it becomes a bird. 
and we've all heard the the caterpillar to the butterfly and all that. And so, you know, nature has its way of saying this is your purpose and your potential. Now it's up to us. We we have to water the seed. We have to give the seed, you know, its full uh, good good uh, sunlight. You know, good environment, and then we'll grow into our full potential. I love that. I really do. Now, as a, as it relates to a podcast, I mean, what inspires us is we get these leaders uh, behind the microphone, and they say, you know, I always thought my potential was this. Uh, I took a few detours in life. You know, I went over here and worked here for a while. I'm sure you can relate to this, Phil. Oh, I've done for sure. This, I've done this job and that job, and finally, I said, "What am I doing? This is what I. This is my calling." This is my purpose, and I built a life and a business and whatever around that, and then surrounded myself with the people I needed uh, who would support that purpose. Well, what's interesting for me is I, I took many paths to try and find my purpose. Um, but when I look back, even though to anybody else they might seem really random, like all everything that was going on just seemed really random, there was always like a, a core thing that ran through every single aspect of what I was doing that I that I loved doing. So. I'll give you an example. So I was going to be a soccer player. That was going to be my career. End of, I was playing professionally from the age of six. Um, I was played in the UK until I was 16, and then I moved over to Central Europe and was playing over there. That was me, right? But I was a winger. So my job was to put the ball in the box so that other people could score. That was essentially my job. Now I scored some goals myself, but I, I used to enjoy my job. My job was supporting other people to be amazing at what they did. So if you're a great striker, do me a favor, just go and stand over there and I'm just going to keep giving you the ball and we're going to win, right? That's, that's how this is going to work. Then when I got medically retired, I went into surveying. And that surveying led to, you have a big project, I'm a surveyor, I'm going to make this as simple as possible for you and give you back the equation of X amount of glass plus X amount of bricks plus this, this, and this is going to equal your thing. Why? Because I was trying to take your dream and turn it into a reality again and put some meat on the bones and say, here's the roadmap. Then I went into executive search and recruitment. And the bit about that that I loved was helping people unlock the careers that they wanted to do. And then I got fed up of that. So it was always supporting other people to become better at what they did. Um, and then with the podcasting element, that you know, TV, podcast, radio, all of it was about how can we help people to have a stage? Because actually so many people out there that should be the industry leaders, no one's ever heard of. And the people who are at the top of the industry are there because they were good at marketing and Facebook ads, but they really don't have that much value to add. So oh my God, I, are you talking about all the companies I've worked for? No, yeah. I'm just <laughs> But genuinely, that's where I became quite passionate about like, you know, no, you, 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 how many inbound leads are you getting? Oh, we're not. And it's like, you've got to have three ingredients for somebody to do business with you. No, like, and trust. And if you're not getting an influx of inbound leads and people coming to you, then at least one of those three ingredients is missing. And what I found with podcasting and TV content was it was the best way of getting, of sorting those three things. You know, it's, they know this podcast host. I'm going to put you on the show, and now they know you. We know what questions they're asking, so you're going to go on and add value, which I love, by the way, because it's like the opposite of normal sales. Normal sales is buy my crap, and I'll give you some value. You know, Podcasting is I'm going to give you some value so that you'll buy my stuff. I love that. And then the trust aspect comes from now you've, they know you because you've been on the show. You've added actionable advice to them and value, so now they love you. Now they've got to trust you. And if they can go on Google and see articles about you in a number of podcasts and keynote speaking gigs of all these different people across the sectors, you've taken care of that piece too. And 
I feel like I found my home with this. Like yeah, this will terrific. keep growing from podcast to television because we're doing more and more TV work now for other people. But I always say the same thing. Not everybody should have their own podcast. Even fewer people should have their own TV show. <laughs> so true. <laughs> hey, Phil, we, uh, we have a commitment at the top of the hour here that we're going to have to hop off. Awesome. Um, well, I have but- – thoroughly what, enjoyed having you what a on. wonderful conversation and i really really appreciate you letting us tell the story of the podcast because uh we just get to talk to so many wonderful people uh including yourself that you know encourage us and inspire us you know to keep going oh you must you absolutely must i think it's, it's such important work that you're doing i think more people should know in fact i've written down three guests i'm going to be sending your way for your podcast pretty shortly anyway um Thank you both so much for being here. How could, once again, how can people get in touch with you? How can people find the podcast? What platforms are you on? Let's end yep. it with that. Yep, we're on all the major platforms. So wherever you get a podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories, and it, you might even search our name, Mark Stenson and Kirsten Gouldy, you'll find us there too. Absolutely perfect. I will put a link in the description below as well as a link to both of your social media pages. Thank you both once again. We've got to do this Thank again. Thank you so much. Yes. Thoroughly Thank enjoyable you. conversation. I jokingly said beforehand that we could go full Joe Rogan with this, and I think we probably could. We could have gone for several hours. So <laughs> Thank you both so much for being here. We'll definitely do this again. Everybody listening, take care of yourselves. Stay safe out there, and, and until next time. This is Billionaires in Boxes, attracting our tribe with our vibe.